Welcome to the Board Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cook, and I'm here with another easy to digest dose of valuable board and company director related information designed to help you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom. Thank you for tuning in to episode 58, Board Leadership in a Not-for-Profit. For this conversation, I'm joined by Patton McDowell, a non-profit expert and leadership coach. He is a best-selling author, speaker, and host of the podcast, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. Patton leads PMA Nonprofit Leadership, a consulting practice he founded after a successful 20-year career in the nonprofit sector. His leadership experience includes work at Special Olympics International and Special Olympics North Carolina, and he has also led fundraising teams at public and private universities. Patton provides practical guidance to help anyone in or pondering nonprofit leadership to define their goals and give them a clear path to achieving them through his book, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. Seven Keys to Advancing Your Career in the Philanthropic Sector, which is a great read for anyone aspiring to a leadership position in any sector. Our conversation today traverses many elements of non-profit leadership, of course, focusing on boards and board members. We tackle the issue of how to get the most out of your board members and how a not-for-profit board can go from well-intentioned to high-performance. Patton shares his views on joining a non-profit board from a traditional for-profit background and how to build a dynamic board in a not-for-profit organisation. We close out our conversation with some future casting on what the future of not-for-profit boards might look like. There's a wealth of information in this conversation for boards beyond the not-for-profit sector. So grab a pen and some paper and settle in with my conversation with Patton McDowell. Patton, thank you so much for joining me on the Board Shorts podcast today. It is great to have you here. Lisa, excited for the opportunity. Thank you for having me. Perfect, perfect. Okay, I want to start with setting some context here. And to me, words matter, and we need to define some things, especially when we're going to have the type of conversation that we're going to have today. And I'd love to know from your perspective, what is leadership? Yeah, I love that question and have had that question with some of my fellow not-for-profit colleagues. I think the best leaders have an ability to identify those that will follow them, develop them and retain them. In other words, leadership doesn't exist if we don't have someone to run with us, to follow us. And so I've kind of broken it down into those three phases. Can I identify the right people to work with me? Can I develop them? Because I think the best people want to get better. And then frankly, can I retain them? And if I can't do that, then I think I still need to to be a better leader if they're not willing to stay with me. Right, right. So if we think about, you were talking about leaders identifying, I guess, the people who are are following them and whatnot, but how would you, um, how would someone know or how does someone know whether they have this leadership potential? 
How do they self-identify that? What what are the signs? That's a great point. I use, you know, the book Mindset by Carol Dweck to me is a fundamental text. And the best leaders and those that are self-aware of a growth mindset are the ones that I think are going to succeed. So, yes, I think you can develop your leadership. If you, however, believe you uh, can't be a leader, that you have to be a follower, then you're probably not going to be a leader. And so it starts with that, you know, willingness and then an openness to get better. Absolutely. And not everyone wants to be a leader, right? Indeed. And that's A-OK. Correct. They're they're different types. We need everybody on the bus in their right seat. And uh, some people would rather be in the front. Some people would be further back. That's right. And that is fine. We need both. We need both. So what is the work then? Talk through the work that you do with leaders. And I know you specialize in nonprofits or not-for-profits using the Australian vernacular. Indeed. (laughs) I will happily use that vernacular as well. Awesome. So what is that work that you do with them? uh, You are correct in that most of uh, my work is indeed in the not-for-profit sector. Um, It it falls in three categories. Um, Strategic planning, as you and I've discussed before, fundamental planning, I think, is essential to success in the not-for-profit community. Uh, Raising funds, fundraising uh, is a big part. If it doesn't come up first, it usually is second or third in a conversation with a nonprofit leader because obviously they have to raise funds to achieve their mission. So I do a lot of work in that space. But what has brought you and I together to these conversations is the leadership aspect has become particularly um, important to me and and what I really get kind of passion from. Uh, I've been doing this consulting for about 14 years. And so a lot of my more recent work in the last three or four years has been focused on nonprofit leadership development. Mm. So coaching and group coaching. I have what's called a mastermind group, which are small group, eight to seven or eight people in a you know leadership cohort. Yeah. But that's the type of work I do now. Yeah, fantastic. And those peer connections and peer learning is so important. Indeed. I, I'm trying to create community. As much as I hope I can be helpful in facilitating conversation, but you're right. The best, I think, development often occurs peer to peer because it's a lonely world, Lisa, for a lot of these not-for-profit leaders. They don't have someone to talk to that understands, and so hopefully we can create more community that way. Yeah, and a lot of times you feel like you're battling challenges that no one else has faced and that you're- Exactly right. Yeah, not true. (laughs) So You're how, not alone. Yeah. How do you see um, not-for-profit leadership? And let's see if we can hone in at the board level. How do you see that as being different or unique to, I guess, if we want to differentiate not-for-profits away from, let's call it traditional businesses? Indeed. How? How? What are the? What are the main differences? Are there any at all? Uh, I think there are, although, again, you know better than anybody, there's a governance element to any board, right, Mm -hmm. any leadership at the board level. Um, I think there are three things that occur to me that are different or nuanced differently. Uh, Both boards want profitability, Mm. okay? But notice I'm saying even in a not-for-profit setting, they do want profitability. The the term 
to me is 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 confusing sometimes. Now, the profits of the not-for-profit are not going to the shareholders or ownership, of mm-hmm. course. They're going to achieve mission. Yes. But that is a distinction, I think, for a board member to understand, right? That that we can be profitable. We don't have to barely break even. Um, but I think sometimes board members come to the, you know, our sector or the not-for-profit sector, right? And think, well, we shouldn't make any money. And yeah, I, I think you've seen that as well, right? Yeah, profit's nearly a dirty word. It, right, we've got to yeah, change that. It feels like there's a mindset where it's like making money is a sin in the not-for-profit sector. We, we've got to change that because more resources allows more mission. Absolutely. And so instead of, you're right, getting obsessed with profitability as a bad word, let's think about achieving more mission and yeah. so you nailed it. I think that's the kind of mindset we have to talk about. Yeah. Um, there's a different oversight, I think, of personnel in, in the governance of a not-for-profit board mm-hmm. um, where the traditional maybe corporate businesses can measure performance on classic metrics and use incentive plans and bonuses and things like that. Right. Um, but if I'm a not-for-profit board member, I, I might have a limited staff and maybe even volunteer yeah. leadership. And that's so that's a different mindset uh, as well. Um, I think in the not for profit sector, and I think in your early days of board service, Lisa, you talked about um, you may have to roll up your sleeves and actually do some of the work yeah. that your for profit board peers don't literally have to get involved in the programming or the work or the uh, activity. But I yeah. do see that as perhaps the third maybe difference uh, to your question. Yeah. Which is always interesting that people have that perspective because there certainly are times and I've read about even some of the largest boards of listed companies, the board members from time to time will step into the business to work in a in an area that's their expertise. And so right. Right. In that instance, you will probably get paid for it, but it's a bit of a <laughs> false belief that we think that volunteer board members will also most likely do work in the business but not for for-profit board members. Exactly right. Well yeah. put. So context-specific. So that's really interesting. What do you see then are the challenges uh, that not-for-profit boards usually face and from your observation of the best boards, how do they overcome those issues? Yeah, love that question. Um, I think there are three things that come quickly to mind. Number one is raising funds. You know, the challenge um, for a non for not for profit organization in general, but particularly for a volunteer board members, like, hey, I didn't sign up to actually ask for money. That is not comfortable for everyone. Yep. So it, the the approach I take, though, when when faced with an organization with that challenge is making sure we tie back to mission. In other words, it should not be a transactional, which is uncomfortable mm-hmm. conversation to, hey, we're serving more kids or we're teaching more people to read or we're, you know, feeding the hungry, whatever it might be. We can do more of that. And so I find that helps organizations get over the mental hurdle of raising funds, including their board members. So mm-hmm. I know that's one we have discussed before, but that would be number one on my list yeah. of a challenge that I hear a fair amount. 
definitely. And what are what are the other two, Patton? The two more, and I and I can expand as you suggest. Uh, the second one is board engagement. You know, volunteer board members, obviously not compensated in the not-for-profit sector. You have two problems there. One is the micromanaging, overly involved volunteer that yeah. is taking over, which is problematic, or disengaged. I signed up because I thought it would look good on my resume, and so, but I'm really not engaged. And then the third category um, is uh, stagnant nominating or mm. no turnover of the board, no term limits. So we are stuck in a leadership cycle that's never going to improve. And again, I know you've seen examples of that. And so, you know, in that instance, again, you have to have term limits. So you and you have to have an active nominating process to bring in new blood yeah. to strengthen the organization. Um, of course, same thing for you and I've talked before about for the board engagement problems. Do you have a job description, you know, which helps define perhaps yeah. the what is within your bounds to in service versus you're doing too much. And if you're going to serve, we need you to be here. Right. Yeah. We need you to be involved. And so those would be some of the suggestions I'd offer to organizations facing those challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that board members don't at first realize is that some of your work as a board is working on how you work. Great point. Yeah. Do, but do they talk about that? You know, no. I, I think many of them do not take the time. And again, I would suggest the best boards have an evaluation process, which leads to that conversation. Yeah. Right. How often do we need to meet? What should our meetings be like? What information do we need going into the meeting and so forth? I don't always see that. Mm. So have you seen examples of it being done well? Is there kind of a, an exemplar nonprofit board that comes to mind that sort of have their their machine working very well? Yes. A couple examples to me are great characteristics of a strong board. Number one is a thoughtful evaluation process, not a punitive, uh-oh, everything's wrong, we need to do an evaluation. No, let's do a healthy evaluation. We're, we're doing well, but we want to be better. Yeah. Um, a, a related point there is what I see in really healthy organizations is they intentionally study similar and aspirational not-for-profit organizations. Mm. Instead of being narrowly focused just on our own performance, Let's talk about what is the best nonprofit of our type in the country? Yeah. What is it like? What can we learn from that? Yeah. And use that as an ongoing kind of measuring stick um, and keep that. To me, that's healthy. And I think board members, when they get involved, they're like, yeah, I want my non not-for-profit to be amongst the best, you know, in my state, in my territory, in my country, whatever it is. Um one other thing that and I think is helpful is is the evidence of a a, a dashboard, some mm -hmm. sort of determining key metrics. I, I think I find a lot of board members can't really define what success looks like. Yes. So it starts with the conversation, as you suggested. Let's talk about what does success look like, and then let's begin to measure that. And that, to me, helps keep the board engaged and focused on the right things. Yeah. And and yes, that might be funds raised. But again, I would imagine it's largely tied to 
mission. Yeah. You know, how do we define our mission? How do we compare with the need in our community? Therefore, it's easier to get excited about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, as you were talking, a thought crossed my mind. Um, here in Australia, <clears throat> certainly my experience has been uh, when you start to bring in this mindset, which to me, um, the word that came to my mind is like corporatization or commercialization, this kind of, I just want to call it a business mindset, right? And right. underpinning every organization is a business that has to run so that you can achieve that mission. Here in Australia, I feel like there's a lot of pushback around this corporatization or commercialization approach in running the business. And have you ever experienced that? And I want to see how this segues to the relationship between the board and the CEO or the board and the management and, and how they can bring a profitability business mindset into an organisation that's really pursuing a purpose and a mission rather than shareholder returns? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think like many of these kind of tricky topics, the answer lies somewhere in the middle because mm -hmm. I have seen both extremes and and I think both extremes are wrong. Yeah. And there are some not-for-profit leaders who are like that business board member or business perspective, they just don't get it. They they've not been in a not-for-profit setting. And so I don't even want to listen to them, yeah. right? Because they they have the vast resources of their company. Yes. And they come in and talk about what we do at the bank and what we do yeah. at, you know, our corporate headquarters. So the not-for-profit person gets very defensive, frankly. Mm. And on, on the other hand, you know, it they, it can go too far the other way and say, let's run this not-for-profit just like a business. Mm. And that sometimes doesn't capture the nuances of things like having volunteers involved in leadership positions, which yeah. is not typical in a corporate setting. And so... I. To me, again, it's back to what you and I talked about earlier. Having a growth mindset as a not-for-profit leader is, yeah, let's bring best practices where they fit. Mm. Okay, And in some aspects, yes, we do need best practice in terms of our accounting and, and our IT or mm. whatever programmatically will make us successful. Um, however, there may be other elements that is not business mindset won't work Yeah, because of you know whatever aspect it is. So that is a good segue, I think, to where your other question was of, all right, well, how do, how does this work uh, most effectively? Well, it starts with good communication. Yeah. And Always. if both sides are kind of talking at each other, mm. um, you know, not for profit saying, well, you don't understand because you don't work here. And then the corporate folks are saying, yeah, but you're not taking advantage of our expertise. Mm -hmm. Both sides are kind of stuck. Um you have to go both ways. The for-profit board member needs to do things like take a tour of the facility at which the nonprofit operates, shadow the nonprofit leader, the volunteer, go to some of the programming. And that seems obvious, but mm -hmm. I think a lot of board members sometimes think, well, I can just kind of analyze from reading the reports and, you know, well, that's what we're shower, about, you know, right, hands off. right, hands off. Hands off. And I, Again, I'm not saying you take the tour and, and try to take over, 
but at least show uh, you know an, an interest in the reality of the programming. And likewise, the not-for-profit leader can learn from their corporate friends. Take a tour of their company and, and maybe with an open mind to say, are there practices here that can enhance my work back at our not-for-profit? And so... But I, I think it starts again with clear communication. You know, when your question, I remember you had asked me about how do the best ones manage the relationship? Yeah. Um, they're intentional about it, talking about what do our meetings need to be like? Yeah. What information do you need as a board member? Because mm. um, I find a lot of times the staff, not-for-profit staff, are generating a lot of information activity that the board members aren't reading anyway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, like, why are we wasting staff time if you're not going to read it? So let's talk about it. Yeah. What are yeah. the key metrics or dashboard? But I don't know. Have you seen examples of good communication that way? Oh, I've definitely experienced um, a, a desire to improve and this ongoing conversation. Um, right. And and I want to ask you, uh, like, to me, this points back to the importance of the chair of the board and that role that they play not only in the board itself um, asking these important questions about how it does the work that it does, but then having that communication one-on-one -on -one and then encouraging like the board to have the conversation with that CEO or with that senior management position. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that re reflection? Yeah. yeah. Um, the best organizations, and, and it starts, I think, with the not-for-profit CEO and his or her board chair mm. having uh, distinct meetings one-on-one. Because -on -one. I've seen a lot of times where that communication happens in front of the whole board. Yeah. And I'm thinking maybe you two should have talked about this before we entangle the whole board. Yeah. And so the best not-for-profit CEOs I've talked to, when the new board chair arrives, they literally take that person to lunch or spend an afternoon together and talk about and talk about some of the details. How should meetings be run? How mm -hmm. can I help you? How can you help me? Um, so I guess again, back to your question, the two of them are the critical uh, kind of dynamic or communication because the the the, the not-for-profit CEO needs the board chair to drive some of those things. The board chair can encourage and, in fact, influence yeah. giving or helping raise funds in ways that it's harder for the staff person to to yeah. do, as an example. Yeah. So I, I'm interested because what is a concern that I often hear, especially in not-for-profits, especially um, when it comes to the chair and the CEO, a, a problem that people are concerned about is this tail wagging the dog. So where the CEO has too much control and influence about what happens and how the board works. Do you have any comments on how boards can avoid that happening and what uh, it, sort of signs to look out for and, and whatnot? Well, that's a great point. And, and often if the CEO is, is largely running the nominating process, in other words, he or she is creating their own board of directors, 
we might have a problem or certainly not going to have the diversity of thought. And, and so you can look at it in a more positive way. Hey, we want diversity of thought, but the challenge is the, because if you are having term limits, the board chair is a rotating position and your CEO might be around for a long time. So it, it takes the CEO having a confidence to be willing to share leadership. And sometimes insecure not-for-profit CEOs don't want to share. Yeah. Now, maybe, and they would argue that, Lisa, well, I had a terrible board chair last year and the year before, so I had to do it. You know, I can't depend on them if they're a bad leader. Um, But I, I would go back to not just a job description for the board as a whole, but a clear job description for the what it means to be the chair. Yeah. And maybe that sets a standard that again the staff person can say, all right, if we you're gonna be the chair, these are the expectations. Yeah. And it's so challenging. I feel like um so many not not for profits, particularly the smaller ones, uh the ones that make up the bulk of that industry, uh consisting of first time board members. And first time right. board members aren't aware of the critical nature of the chair position and haven't been exposed to boards and board processes enough to know that what are the expectations that we as board members should have on this chair and what is the best chair behaviours and whatnot and something like a position description just as suitable if not more necessary for the chair than it is for the other board members. Great point. And something else I've seen is helpful is identifying a peer um, board leader at a different organization. So in other words, if you are a younger organization um, and perhaps your board members have had less experience, perhaps you match your board chair with another community Mm. board leader who obviously that you think sets the right kind of standard. Absolutely. But your point's a good one that there are some board leaders who haven't done it before. Therefore, they don't know exactly what it looks like. So perhaps finding a peer would help them do their job even better. Yeah, good point. So what are some of the other considerations that someone moving, say, from a traditional for-profit business onto a not-for-profit board uh, has to keep in mind? Um, They don't. Don't assume you understand the inner workings of the not-for-profit. Back yeah. to what we were talking about. I, I made a note this, uh, do a tour. Don't just read the paperwork yeah. and look at the website and assume you really understand what's going on. Um, so the best organizations have an orientation for their board members that includes uh, meet and greet with the staff, yeah. actual participation in a program or observation of that. So that's point number one. Don't assume uh, that you know. Um, and don't assume that your kind of management techniques apply. Yes, you you are very uh, decorated in your corporate world, but that may or may not uh, translate. And so be willing, be open-minded to, because I, and I I feel like I have to defend the not-for-profit leadership that um, it is a profession. These are not just kind of feel-good volunteers who and, you know, happen to work in a charitable organization, the, this is a profession. They're, they know what they're doing. And, yeah. and so I kind of want to say that to to stand up for them, because I think sometimes board members come in with a bit of a 
Um, you know, they're, they're looking down. There's a kind of a different mindset, and it's not one of total respect. Um, Understand the third area we talked about, but if I'm moving, is the the uh, requirement to help raise money. Yeah. I think again, that's often something that is not typical in other board service, and so it's one that mm. the not-for-profit leader has to be very intentional about, I think, in onboarding and orienting and training your board leaders on that point. Yeah. And so what does that normally look like? How do you see board members getting involved in in the asking for the money? I I break it down into a five-part formula because I think sometimes if you go straight to asking, Mm. that is the intimidating part Mm -hmm. uh, in general. Yeah. So if I immediately kind of come in and say, yeah, I'm going to need you to go ask all your friends for money or ask even worse, ask strangers for money. Yes. That's not you're not going to get them. Um, so I start with the basis of what we want to do is you being ambassador for this cause that you do believe in. Mm-hmm. You know, we're educating kids here. You know, we're teaching literacy or we're, you know, housing the homeless or whatever our cause is. You wouldn't be on the board if you didn't believe in it. Mm-hmm. So let's start with that. And what we're going to do is try to match you with people who have a like-minded interest. Mm-hmm. And so talk about fundraising. I like to think about it more as a uh, it's a facilitation of their investment. Mm-hmm. And notice my notice my language is intentional. Mm-hmm. Fundraising, I think, has a negative connotation in many people's ears. Like right? sales. <laughs> exactly right. And and I, I had a bad experience with sales or I've been approached for money and it was uncomfortable. So now you want me to do that? I'm like, no. Yeah. Let's just talk about you believe in this cause. Let's have conversations with others who believe in the cause. Mm-hmm. And your job is to facilitate their investment. Mm-hmm. So you see where I'm going. I'm trying to soften. Now, yeah. I'm not trying to avoid mm-hmm. because, but I think it starts with that understanding of kind of the mission elements. It's connecting with people. So there's a science to this. Yep. We're not asking everybody for money. We're going to try to to narrow the focus on people who are likely to give. Mm. And then we need to educate those people. Yep. Make sure they understand what we're doing. And so that's a whole element. And by the way, some board members might be involved in the education or marketing mm. of our cause. That's important. Mm-hmm. Before we ask for money, let's yeah. make sure we have an educated population of potential donors. Yes. And then we need to help our board members feel comfortable with the what why invest. Yeah. In other words, it it has to what does your dollar do to help us achieve our mission? But a lot of board members say, yeah, I, I just need more information. So I'm like, let's give our board members just a one page document that describes literally, you know, how investment makes a difference. So anyway, I think that hopefully gets them more comfortable. So a long answer to a good question. But if we start with just, hey, I need you to ask for money, I think we may lose them right off the bat. Yeah. Oh, it's so important. You've got to educate the board members first before they can go out and tell the story. So tell them the story. Couldn't agree more. The story. 100%. So I want to switch tack here. How how does a not-for-profit board itself, because we don't want the tail wagging the dog, right. how does a not-for-profit board build or become successful? 
dynamic, effective, efficient, all these words that we associate with great boards. <laughs> How does it start doing that? A, a first step, in my opinion, is a collaborative process to, to build a strategic plan together. Mm -hmm. Often where I see, often the staff will generate the initial draft, you know, yep. of where they believe our current programming is and where our future programming should go. But it's important to bring the board into that discussion early because I think it gets them more excited and yeah. more educated. But if the, if the staff is generating the plan on their own, the board's going to feel like, all right, well, why do you need me here? Yeah. Right. And instead of let's have a collaborative process, maybe it's an annual planning exercise to talk about. And I use the phrase mission, vision, action. Yeah. You know, are we all on the same page as to what we do now, our mission? And then are we on the same page of what our vision is? Yeah. And, and to me, that often is in a compelling way, the need we're meeting. Yeah. To me, people can relate to that. Yes. Right. If we are providing meals for the hungry, we, we're proud of the fact we're feeding, you know, hundreds now, but we know there are hundreds more that need us. Yeah. All right. Indeed. How many can we get in the next year? That's yeah. action. Yeah. And that simple framework, I think, helps get everybody on the same page. And yeah. back to your point of nobody's, no tail is wagging anyone then if yeah. we're all part of the process and on the same page. Absolutely. And it, what I've experienced and what I've seen in uh, not-for-profits that I've been exposed to is that on the one hand, there's the staff that think the board should write the strategy and the board think the staff should write the strategy. And, there's, and then it's compounded by the fact that no one actually understands what strategy or a strategic plan even is. Yes. Which probably comes back to my earlier point about this pushback about this corporatization and commercialization. And oh, you're trying to impose business profit stuff onto us. No, no, we're benevolent. We need to be for the community. And yeah. So have you seen this sort of friction between who's setting the strategy, what even is strategy, and where you even go from there? That's a great yes is the answer. And again, it's a tale of two extremes mm. where one extreme is we don't need a plan. We just do what we do because we understand the need and we roll up our sleeves. Often the staff driven, you board members don't understand and we're yeah. fighting. We're on the in the trenches yeah. versus the overly complex business strategy mindset with a lot of business jargon that nobody understands. And we've created these complicated charts and tables and graphs. Again, I think the answer is in the middle. You do need a plan. It can't be just get through tomorrow. Yeah. But you don't need such a complexity that no one has time to even understand or read it. Yeah. And, and again, I give credit. I had a chance to do an internship with the founder of Special Olympics International, Eunice Kennedy Shriver. Mm -hmm. who started that global movement yeah, you know, right. back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. um, but she was particularly good because she dealt with not-for-profit uh, organizations at all levels, you know, global, but it boiled down to community-based yeah. not-for-profits. Yeah. And she knew if we overcomplicate this, it'll never work. Exactly. And therefore, that kind of her mission, vision, action framework 
created a strategic plan, literally a one pager that some organizations would expand it. Others would say, you know, that's enough. Our mission is this. Our vision is that. And here's the action we need to take over the next one to three years to get us closer. Yeah. That to me is a good framework for a strategic plan. Yeah. Well, a lot of times people either overcomplicate it or think it needs to be more sophisticated or complex for it to be a strategy. But no, that's just going to end up have to be problems. Right. And it'll never get done. So and, and and then we wonder why some you know board members never really engage. It's too complicated or it doesn't exist at all. So yeah. back to our earlier topics, we've made it harder to bring in talented volunteers because there's yeah. not an easy way for them to apply. Yeah. And something like this the organizational strategy or plan or or mission vision actions that can inform so much of the activity that the board itself does and it it exactly tells, right it tells you or it indicates to you who do you need around the table what is the expertise what is the skill set what are your conversations at every board meeting like where are you all pointing and are you all moving in that direction absolutely right there, there's an energy and a clarity that comes with that and again, then we're not kind of fighting with each other. I think it 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 helps everyone, staff and board, look to a positive future instead of kind of wrestling with each other over terminology or yeah. style of management. Yeah. And it's also a great framework to answer the questions that you have at a board level. What are the decisions that we're making? Okay, what do we believe and what do we think is going to get us closer to achieving that? goal that we've set exactly right you know and you're right kind of the differentiation between the strategic discussion that is appropriate for the board which to me would be something like expanding into the next community yeah or or merging with a similar not-for-profit in the adjacent county Um, but how to actually do the programming that we do day to day that's a staff decision and and that's the distinction sometimes that is not made but should be uh discussed yeah no that's a common problem on every board i think is getting too much into the operational side of things so exactly right certainly having that strategy is going to help keep the conversations in the boardroom at that right level so i want to cl- close out with with some future gazing <laughs> What does the future look like for nonprofit, not-for-profit boards from your viewpoint? Yeah, I love that question, and it's fun to speculate. Um, Those boards and organizations in general that embrace the technology are going to succeed. The positive side of technology, of course, is access. You can now have board members from anywhere in your country almost because of their remote ability to to dial in. But that you you can't just rely on that as a kind of safety net. You still have to engage board members. So technology in and of itself is not the answer. But I do think uh, being intentional about your technology plan, how you engage in this new hybrid world in which we live. Yep. Um to me there's positives. Those organizations that I've found are like 
we want to meet in person some meetings, but maybe every other meeting we're going to meet over Zoom or whatever technology we use. That could be a step forward. Yep. Now, if we only do Zoom meetings and people really aren't tuning in, that's not an example, obviously, of success. But hmm. to me, management of technology needs to be an intentional discussion at the board level. Also in the delivery of your programming yeah, and the way you serve whoever and however you serve, technology is going to play a part. Yeah. And are you going to be on the lead edge of that? Or are you going to be falling behind? Yeah. Um, I, I think the transfer of wealth in the world, and obviously there are all kinds of issues of the rich getting richer. Hopefully, mm-hmm. though, more of the super rich are going to have a, a philanthropic mindset. To me, those boards that embrace the question, which is, why should someone that with significant means, why should they invest in us? Yeah. Because I see, Lisa, a lot of organizations still ask for modest amounts of support, which is fine for those that have modest amounts to give. But if I have extreme wealth and you're only asking me for a small amount, I'm going to keep giving you a small amount. Yeah, that's right. And so I talk about the best nonprofit boards consider the possibility of major transformational giving. Yeah. Because it's out there. Uh, You see it. I see it. Right. But I, too many nonprofits are just talking about the the small scale. Let's Mm -hmm. just do a special event and raise the same amount of money last year. Instead of saying, well, if somebody could give us a million dollars. Yeah. Well, what could we do with that? Right. Can we articulate a case? Mm. For the million dollar or ten million dollars or whatever, yeah, it's and to me that's a fun conversation for a board to have, but most don't have it. No, and they're not going to get the fifty million dollar yeah. gift if they don't even consider it. Yeah. Um, last point for boards, I think, is the increasing the positive opportunity for talent management. Mm. Um, I'm seeing here in the states really encouraging signs that more and more universities are offering undergraduate and graduate degrees in nonprofit management, Mm. which means nonprofit organizations and their boards are going to have access to more talent. Yeah. So the rhetorical question is, what is your not-for-profit doing to identify and attract and retain talent? Mm. Um, So I... I think the best organizations are to think about things like, do we have an internship program? Mm. Um, do we have part-time opportunities for these emerging leaders? Yeah. Um, because otherwise, if we don't think about talent as a board, the talented nonprofit staff are going somewhere else. Well, it's and nearly... So, right? How do it, we it's change seen, that? Yeah, it's seen as a sin, nearly, to my earlier point about trying to be profitable (laughs) to making enough money to there's there's this real um lack of appreciation or even desire to want to invest money into growing and developing your staff it's nearly like no that money should be spent on the mission on the purpose not on staff and you sit there in the boardroom thinking, oh, my God, we're really shooting ourselves in the foot. If we couldn't be more right. And yeah. if we say we want to serve more, uh, whatever our, more of our mission is, in their for-profit businesses, they would always invest in talent 
to mm-hmm. assure profitability. So why don't we invest in talent to assure mission success? And mm-hmm. back to your good question, the best not-for-profit organizations are not going to be afraid to say, we're going to invest in talent yeah. because that talent is coming. And yeah. because of that investment, we're going to do more good. Yeah. And and it feels like the conversation and the decision is so much easier if we're talking about an asset like new computers for the staff and new a new printer and you're spending the same amount of money. But when we talk about investing in a person, it's nearly we, sacrilegious. No. It, un- unfortunate. It's You're right. But I hope that will change. And I would suggest those organizations are willing to be somewhat different in that mindset are the ones ultimately that are going to succeed. And those that can't get through that poverty mindset are going to be lost. Yeah. Yeah. And that gives me an interesting thought about if you've got the board members coming in with that mindset already, just by nature, that's how they are. um, They're going to bring that influence into their decisions. That's so true. And but hopefully in you and I and others that that talk to have listeners thinking about nonprofit leadership and not-for-profit leadership, that we need to lift up examples of organizations that are willing to invest in their people. Yes. You know, give them more airtime because perhaps that will eventually get through if they're like, wow, that organization doubled their impact in their community. And now I see that they're paying good people reasonable rates. Yeah. Maybe it'll start to sink in. Yeah, hopefully. It's a good idea. So, Patton, how can people get in touch with you if they want to know more, if they want to get a hold of your book, which is fantastic, a great read, I recommend for any leader anywhere, not just not-for-profit. Thank you. Um, Patton McDowell, of course, is my name. You can find me on LinkedIn. uh, And my uh, website is also pattonmcdowell.com. And on the website, you can find out more about Thank You, the book. And my podcast is called Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, which, of course, is also the title of the book. So Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, if you search that, you'll likely find either a podcast, a book, or more information about the work we do. So thank you, Lisa, for letting me share that. Fantastic. My pleasure. Thank you. And we'll have links to those in the show notes. So if anyone's not quite sure of the spelling, we will definitely (laughs) provide a nice, easy link there for you. And just out of interest, because I'm Australian based, I have probably a majority Australian audience. You are in America. Where are you joining us from? I'm on the East Coast of the US in the state of North Carolina in the city of Charlotte. So I'm delighted to expand my network with people like you, but that's where I am actually located. Perfect. And you do work with people all over the world. Is that right? Correct. Uh, And so it's the podcast and and we have that, as I mentioned, a mastermind group that does indeed include nonprofit leaders from all over. Fantastic. That's great. Thank you so much again for joining me today, Patton. It was such a joy to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Patton McDowell. I love that we live in a time where we can learn from a global governance community. We are all achieving great things in not-for-profit boardrooms across the world. 
And yet we all have the opportunity to further grow, develop and improve the leadership that we provide organisations across all sectors and communities. Thank you for tuning into episode 58 of the Board Shorts podcast. If you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe, rate and review the Board Shorts podcast on your favourite podcast app. And be sure to share that you're listening and what your takeaways are from this episode on social media using the hashtag BoardShortsPodcast. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you in the next episode. The Board Shorts Podcast is powered by Get On Board Australia, the destination for aspiring and new board members, helping you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom.